Welcome to The Profitable Python with your host, Ben McNeil. On this episode, you will meet Jason Wadier. Did I pronounce that correctly, Jason? Wadier. Wadier. Okay, I should have checked. Okay, so you, you, you are going to meet Jason Wadier. Jason is a proud father of three boys and a de database developer that started out in accounting, but ultimately found his satisfaction in data management. He now specializes in helping companies navigate piles of merger and acquisitions data at KPMG accounting firm. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. Glad to be on here. Yes, this, I'm super excited to have you on here too. Now, before we jump into this, I just wanted to ask you, why is data management so important for mergers and acquisitions? It's, imp it's important because a company is having to prepare for a, f a reality in the future, i.e. when the buyer-sell decision goes into effect. So let's take the example of a company deciding to spin off a, a segment of itself, like eBay did a couple years ago when they spun off their PayPal um, division into a completely separate company. eBay, up until the point of, of actually siphoning off the PayPal component, had to keep reporting under current state of, of how things are today in terms of reporting to the SEC, reporting to investors, et cetera, et cetera. But they also had to work to prepare historical periods for um, when the when the spinoff took effect, you basically have a very short window to prepare this new reality. So for for a period of about a year to two years up until a, a spinoff or a, a sell-off goes into effect, a company has to has to really work for work towards two parallel tracks, both the company as it exists in real time and then the company as it will exist at some point in the future retrospective. So what we companies do is prepare that kind of future state so that they can keep running their normal processes, what they have to report to the SEC or whomever. And we help prepare for that future state reality so that they can make adjustments in this kind of parallel off to the side safe, safe spot or we host the data and make adjustments to it. Um, without it kind of muddying the waters of what they have to do up until the point of, and they, you know, click their heroes three times. They're not in Kansas anymore. It's a new <laughs> it, it just sounds uh, like a lot of data. Are, are we talking, I mean, I mean, is every project different or it's, it's just pretty much like <laughs> every uh, project is a little hmm. bit different, but you're still, you're, now th this is, it's usually targeted towards um, aggregated financial information. So you're, you're typically not um, in most projects going to be dealing with trying to do this for all their data management needs, i.e. their sales ledger, um, their uh, receivables, payables ledger. Not like It's not a um, trying to do data management of all data needs for their organizations usually targeted on their their summary um, summary like fine um, external financial reporting base. So um, you're usually focused on trying to first step mimic the reality of that aggregated aggregated financial information, and then 
once you have a snapshot or you replicate how their process currently works to re reproduce current state, you, you and the, the accounting team that you're paired with and together with the company work towards making um, incremental adjustments to effectuate what the future state will look like for four periods retrospective in time that, um, that are, are pre-sell off. Because when, when a, a new company stands up and they're a new public company, you typically have to report somewhere between two to three years of historical information. So hmm. that's why the, the um, that's where the, the burden is, is that a company without either having a lot of extra bench power to handle this kind of special, really one-off type of project for most companies um, needs, needs a, whole, a whole kind of set of extra manpower and intellectual capital from kind of having specialized in doing these types of transactions to say, hey, we'll, we'll take the burden of kind of managing this future state and we'll work with your company in terms of of getting any sort of domain expertise that are specific to your company and situation. And we'll kind of work through the accountingfication of it. Hmm. And in the, uh, the uh, forward looking part, part of this, I'm kind of getting an, echo, getting an echo actually. Are you still there, bud? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still here. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so um, with, so with the forward looking part, part, are are we talking like uh, AI type stuff or is it time value money the, the, stuff? The, or? the forward looking part is more so just a descriptor for the, the, the spinoff or the sell off. So the forward looking is, um, for example, let's say um, company A decides to spin off or sell to a different um, competitor segment D mm -hmm. next year, like so 2020. They would, in their financial statements of that segment D, have to report 2020, 2019, 2018. So you have to, in, in present day terms, you have to work towards having, having the work done for a company, um, or the, the work that the company does, they have to continue to report as if, in, in present day terms, as if they still had segment D, but they also have to do kind of work in a in the anticipation of knowing that okay, well, when 2020 comes along and we actually sell this segment off and it's big enough to warrant a separate SEC financial statements, we have had to um, prepare not only next year's information for segment D separately, but we have to prepare. 2019 and 2018. So the, the forward looking part is more so in anticipation of this future transaction event that's going to require um, financial statements and financial disclosures, footnotes, et cetera, for this separate piece that used to be a part of the broader mothership. Okay. So it's almost like you're, you're being paid to be proactive here. And then when the magical day comes, it's like, you can, you can swap out like, okay, we have this other yeah. version of truth that we were 90% of the way there. And we just had to kind of dial it in. Exactly. That Instead kind of, of thing. procrastinating and realizing, oh shit, we got to pull 
five nights of all nighters. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, what is the career outlook for this type of work? You think? I th- I think the career outlook is good because companies are they always go through cycles of either um, kind of industry consolidation or industry kind of um, deconsolidation in terms of trying to um, divest non-core segments. That's always code word for, or if if a company's saying that they're looking at um, selling off non-core segments or businesses, it's usually a sign that they have an appetite for either selling to another company or trying to spin that collection of businesses or product lines off. So mm-hmm. there's usually either, you know, companies trying to um, buy up other companies or then on the other end of the cycle, like, oh, well, we're GE or we're such and such conglomerate and we've gotten too big and, and the cycle reverses where they're going the other way. So I think hmm. level will, that in terms of, industry um focus or the 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 types of of transactions that necessitate kind of the the consulting need will always be there because the company is also typically not going to say well you know what we'll we'll hire for both our our run and maintain needs and we'll also have this you know double sized bench just for these one-off special transactions Um, so I think that appetite will always be there. I think there's there's also kind of a, a good, um, always going to be a, a, a need for people that are in my type of role. Not necessarily just the accounting part, but the, the part of having a, a blend of someone who has some domain knowledge, my accounting background, and working on these types of transactions from the accounting execution side with just kind of enough um, coding or programming knowledge to kind of um, really empower the execution and the effectiveness of bringing technology solutions to those domain to um, uh, data related or data related data management issues on the domain side so mm. I think that is um, that is something that it makes me think of um, Michael Kennedy is is prone to harping on saying we don't need 10,000 more programmers, but we need um, more people who know programming that are, are kind of already in a niche field like political science, or um, I think a, a, a big field where um, data science or programming is, is highly desired is in the realm of public policy. So I think that general field is only going to be to grow and grow because if you, I think if you generally look at something hyper-specific like software engineering or hyper-specific like, oh, you know, data science, just know the statistics and some R and Python. I think the, those job markets are becoming more and more competitive. But if you have like, okay, well, I have my master's in biostatistics, or I have my master's in public policy. And, oh, you know what? I picked up some R and Python or Scala and I can kind of combine these two two areas where I'm maybe not super duper in either, but I'm good to very good in, in both. I think that, that that combination of enough domain expertise and something um, kind of 
nitrous oxide super powered with the technology that helps um, that's relevant to that domain, I think that there's going to be continue to be a, a wealth of an appetite for companies or firms, et cetera, for that, that sort of combination. So I think both from my specific industry and what the, the specific practice I help support, but also my broader combination of, of a domain background with enough, not necessarily like super whiz-bang, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg like coding skills. I think that's that's where the the real future lies versus somebody that's just specializing in software engineering, computer science, or <clears throat> just trying to target the the data science specific skills without any domain expertise underlying it or dom domain understanding it doesn't necessarily need to be a PhD in economics from Oxford College. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up because um, I experienced the same thing actually in, in my own uh, work work experience. But so you're basically saying, if I'm hearing you right, that uh, if you want to monetize, it, like if your dream is to go out there and monetize uh, programming skills, for example, you're probably going to have a better shot at doing that if you have some sort of domain expertise or some something else that you specialize in. And then the the combination of those is what makes you like irreplaceable basically. It's kind of what yeah, it's exactly. like. Yeah. And I think I exactly, I think it's the other thing that you can look at that by is there's probably somebody that's going to be a better programmer than you. And there's probably somebody who is going to like, there, there are umpteen number better accountants than me. There's, and there's probably still people that are better accountants plus coder combinations, but that the, the competition for the combination of the skills is probably a lot more scarce than if I was just trying to be a coder or just trying to be an accountant. You can kind of, I think, not that you can slack off necessarily, but you, you, you're not as much under threat um, or having that or being ultra, ultra good in either one. And I think in some ways that takes the pressure off trying to be, you know, hyper good if you're just kind of on thinking of thinking about trying to maximize one pillar of expertise or technical field. And it makes me think of um, this sort of trying to look at the center of a Venn diagram to maximize your career, pol uh, career uh, potential or, or career autonomy. Makes me think about um, a, a talk that Anthony Shaw gave at Pi uh, Africa, where he talked about the a, a breadth and depth model of, in this case, it was specific to computer programming languages in terms of balancing between, okay, well, you could do web development or you could do Python, C Sharp. He talked about an, an eight, an, the Star Wars ATAT, where you have kind of a, a base and, and two legs. And, and then that, although he was talking about computer and programming languages, I think you can imply that in terms of uh, technical skill sets where, okay, you, you maybe want to have like a somewhat of a breadth, but if you can, if you can specialize in, 
not specialize, but be very good and try to focus on, on two areas and two areas that complement each other, not just, well, I can do, <laughs> excuse me, I can do JavaScript and I can do, um, I can do C-sharp web development. But something where it's like, hey, I've, I've had uh, a master's in political science and I worked for the um, so-and-so campaign. Oh, and I've done the, uh, our specialization in Coursera. I mean, that's that's where you you really, um, particularly in the realm of data science, I think maximize your potential because a lot of times you're what will make up for the fanciest functional function call or algorithm or uh, machine learning method is understanding um, understanding data, understanding when anomalies or quirks can be ignored versus something that needs to be, you know, actually that stop, stop where, you know, don't, don't pass go. We need to ask questions versus letting something with leaks go further down the pipeline. And by the end it's crap and the process either has to be scrapped or completely redone. Right. That's where I, I think that's where having, having a, a bit of a, background in the area you're trying to apply the programming skills is you can you have this you have this um i think there's a different word but my what's coming to my head you have this like shit detector or what is what is what you you stop and raise your hand about and I, this this comes both in terms of working with the data or information, but also working with the, your your colleagues that are on maybe a more of a non-technical, non non-coding in. Even though my accounting focus is is long gone of three or four years ago, I still I still kind of have a good sense of, of core mechanics of how financial statements and trial balances work together, and I also have a, a sense of when requests are coming through for especially these types of merger and acquisition projects that I'm working on, either from the client or from or, for, or from our internal KPMG teams, I can kind of tell like, hey, I know you asked for this, but what you really need is is this. Hmm. Yeah, that like having that intuition is is possibly like like the big value add is, is what it almost sounds like there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm curious, how did you uh, land your foot in the door with database development? Because you're basically talking about, you spent, you know, you, you kind of sold your soul to accounting. Like how did you, <laughs> how, how did this whole thing uh, uh, end up like that? So I had a, I had a bit of a sense that I would like programming um, by taking a, a course in, in VBA in, in college. Okay. But other than some toy examples in grad school, didn't really use coding afterwards. Um, but the, the epiphany moment was when, on, when working on a project, there was uh, someone that, that works on the uh, database technology team within my practice. I was sitting in a conference room and I was just looking over his shoulder and he had an, a SQL editor up. I just poked over and like, almost like the cocky SOB that I was, 
And you know what? I can, I can do that. That's not, that's just, that's just syntax. That's like BBA. Yes. Some ones I can, I, I can do that. And I didn't say anything at the time to him. I just, I kind of quietly went off and thought to myself, okay, what's a, what's a way that I can go back to this individual later and say, Hey, I'm interested in doing what you guys are, are, are doing in the, the database technology group. What's, what's a way I can, I can be more convincing other than saying, yeah, I, I want to do what you, I, I like what you guys do. What you guys do is cool. Yeah. I, I, I did a little bit of research and found that there were some uh, Microsoft certification exams and SQL. Not that, not that test, not that taking a test and passing a largely multiple choice test proves beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that you can utilize a language particularly in practice and, and, deal with things kind of in real life versus idealized scenarios where everything is clean. But it does demonstrate some sort of one baseline understanding. And then two, it, it demonstrates real interest in that, that you are willing to dedicate a chunk of time to something and that that's a, that's a good barometer for, okay, this person has potential versus you know, I read a couple articles on object-oriented programming. I, I, I think I get this whole inheritance thing down. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, was, it was the kind of having that aha moment of seeing SQL on the screen, but then thinking, uh, okay, I have this person I can go back to now. What's something I can do to um, be more convincing to this person um, that my, my interest is, is – interest is legitimate and then two i have at least a baseline level of a technical understanding that if i were to give this thing a try that i wouldn't be completely learning on the try that learning on the job mm -hmm. that would at least know how to write my letters so to speak of abc i may not know how to cobble them together into a paragraph under this analogy but i can at least start forming sentences they're probably uh, shitty sentences and they, they are probably a 10 page essay when a five paragraph one would do, but it's at least enough to, to not be completely lost. And I think right. an, another example of, of a hypothetical example is if somebody is working at, um, I don't know, a political science think shop and they, they have, they, they want to get into more of the data analyst or data science role. I mean, to, to, today, more than eight, nine years ago or six years, years ago when, I, when this aha moment happened, there is tons of available um, options online, Coursera, EDX. And again, not that doing one of those is going to mean Oh, you can you are going to be badass from day one, but it's at least going to demonstrate two items of some surface baseline level of understanding or proficiency. And then it's going to the it's also going to legitimize your interest because of the, the time and sacrifice that you made towards it. In fact, when when I later followed up with this senior manager who I 
hovered over his shoulder and said, oh, I can, I can do that. That's, that's not hard. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that me sitting for that Microsoft certification exam was, a, was to him like, a, okay, that showed me that you were serious about it. So hmm. I was explicitly told that that was one of the reasons that they took a shot on me. Hmm. What, which one did you get certified on? Uh, 2012 it, or? I think it was uh, by the time I took it, it was 2012 slash 2014, but I don't think there was that big of a difference um, in terms of 2014, um, at least not enough to make me fail the exams. Mm-hmm. But it was the, the generic sequel. I forgot the full title of it, but it's, it's, there it was a three part certification. I'm not sure if it's, if they have an, an equivalent for 2016 right now, because they, they keep on changing up a little bit, but that's one, how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the three exams was on essentially just query writing database polls, just kind of what you would think about as, as core SQL mechanics. And the other one was uh, more of an administration. So dealing about security roles and um, database backup procedures. And then the third one was database warehouse, which most of that was just a plug for um, SQL service, SSIS. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm forgetting what. Oh, the integration services uh, yeah. package. And, and at the time that I was taking that, we had essentially a, better version of that or a more ambidextrous version of that in, in Alteryx, which is this kind of, I um, analogize it to, it's like Visio except for the buttons actually do something. Oh, <laughs> it, left jo- that triangle does a left join. Mm-hmm. So we had a technology that was a, a much more robust version of, of SSAS. So that that portion was a bit of a, not a, well, it was a waste, but the good part of that exam is it taught me um, this notion of a good database design in terms of uh, star versus snowflake schema, um, which is, is prevalent a lot in um, database dev- design for um, dashboard or business intelligent reporting, like um, at least in, in Power BI that leverages that sort of a design model. And I think just as a, as a aside in terms of exams or courses or books, I think other than serving as good litmus test or good kind of external indicators, particularly in the case of someone trying to shift into a new career or shift into a new role, the only thing they're, they're good about is exposing you to items that you may not come across in your in your day-to-day job mm. for example one that i i remember um quite vividly is just being exposed to indexing in in sql and and usually if 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 a data set's so small you don't really need to reach for um, the most optimized solution because just the the power of processing and et cetera will take care of itself but when dealing with a crap ton of data or you need it to perform faster that's when you have to kind of actually go to best principles so and i think that's something that either again picking up a book trying to for an exam is it will 
expose you or put the thought in your mind of, oh, okay, I, I think I remember studying this or looking up clustered and non-clustered indexes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look for that further. It's not, it may not, the implementation of it may not come rapidly, but just mm -hmm. the idea the seed is planted. So I think from a, a, I guess just a plug for continuous learning of your, of your craft and what it can, can do in terms of not only again, serving as a, an aid to help you, you bridge between different careers or different roles, but in terms of improving in your current role, a lot of times you may not know the, the better solution to an issue or, or the silver bullet that's going to you know, save your team up team number of hours for something, um, but trying to you know, kind of diversify or round out or just be exposed to different thoughts, whether it's, oh, you know, I, I think on, on, uh, on uh, High Bytes, or the, the weekly Python podcast that um, Brian Aachen and Michael Kennedy, I think they mentioned this one time that there's this website for creating um, fake data for, or, or made up data, not fake mm -hmm. data, said fake news, but okay, made, made, up, made up data that looks like, looks and sounds like domain related data for these things. I, I think I remember them mentioning that. I, I'm gonna go check it out. Or, oh, I think they, I remember them, Michael Kennedy one time during an interview that talked about a Python DAS library that brought about kind of the, the parallel scheduling of, of multiple um, job threads that doesn't require you to, to know or reach for um, a dupe or Apache Spock. I, th I think I'm gonna actually check that out more. So I, that's just an uh, plug for some type of um, seeking knowledge outside of what you're going to be exposed to naturally in your day-to-day -day job. Because hmm. if you're just going to be exposed to what either your projects are going to, your, the projects that come your way are going to expose you to, or what your coworkers or boss knows, you're limited, naturally limiting yourself to that, that sphere of knowledge or tool set. So hmm. a little bit of a ramble there, but plug no, I love the, I love the, the mindset that you have there. It's like, you don't like you, it might not be super actionable at that moment in time with whatever job that, that you're currently doing. But I mean, you're basically guaranteeing that you've got this giant tool set that you can reach into anytime and you're not going to get sideswiped when like a random, you know, weird thing pops up. Like it's going to help you be more effective. I, I love yeah, the, the mindset. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it speaks to that that issue of you don't know what you don't know, but you mm. can try to attack that. Not in, not that you always need to be like, you know, I, I always want to, I, I don't know philosophy. I'm going to learn philosophy. <laughs> not going, not straying too outside, but I think what um, that sort of diversification of ideas or thought is going to do is try to give you extra, um, extra, potential or extra preparedness for the situations that may, um, that may only come up five to 10% of the time, or what they may do is 
expose you to a new library or a new um, slice of the code that um, that 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 is relevant to the eighty percent of your job. For as an example, I think I was looking at a Pluralsight course the other year on SQL Server 2016, which is, of course, still two years ahead of what the current version that my firm uses. And there was this shorthand for drop if exists um, of that construction. I think it was either this or this was just the acronym and it was die, drop if exists. Okay. <laughs> This got kind of like, okay, that's, that's a neat shorthand for that. Okay. And that, again, that, that might not, that's probably a bad example, but just, oh, hey, that's actually something that we utilize. Okay. If, if this is not, if this object, this SQL object is not null, drop it and then insert this new table. Oh, this could be a, a shorthand that's more readable. Okay. Okay. And then, again, that optimization of that problem is probably pretty small, but I think it just illustrates that finding, finding some way to both kind of do two things, try to look for, you know, th that exposing yourself to podcasts, conferences, et cetera, mm -hmm. gives you the chance to do one of two things other than in the case of conferences, the, the human element and the networking, you have the ability to find new ways to tackle your current problems or ways to ways to tackle problems that either are occur infrequently or that offer um or that give you a give you a chance to go into a, a, a new area so again either optimizing or making more efficient your your current or most frequent issues or tasks or giving you the the tool set to handle the the black swan so to speak of of issues yeah. or you know give you a chance to to trudge into a new area mm -hmm. yeah and you so you brought up the conference part and i know uh you had mentioned in the pre-interview that if you basically had to like start over from scratch tomorrow that attending these conferences as a way to kind of getting back to a profitable state was part of your strategy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like, how do you, I mean, there's like a zillion conferences out there. So how do you prioritize? And then what do you do to kind of maximize the experience? So I, I think, and I, I think the conferences and the networking, I think that that also pertains to like with, within your organization that it's, it's important to conference and network uh, within the, well, Attending, attend meetings and do networking internally too, but okay. in since do conferences, I think you raise a good what, good question of, there's so many of them, how do you choose one? I think what you wanna to try to um, limit it to from a topical standpoint is what's most relevant to the area that you're either currently in or that you wanna be in. So, um, in, in my case, a couple of years ago, although I, I know I didn't have quite the ultimate epiphany that a data science in terms of my future career interests is where I wanted to, to target things, I had a, a thought of wanting to 
expand my knowledge into something outside of um, a Microsoft-based product, product, because that's what um, KPMG is for the most part as a Microsoft shop. So mm-hmm. oh, I know I want to do something outside of that. And then Python came up as, as one of those items. Like, okay, well, in Python, you know, can do web development or data science. I don't want to do data science because I don't, I don't want to pick up statistical methods again. And so I, in, in my case, I, I went for what I thought would be the biggest, um, biggest chance of, um, I think, ma- maximizing the opportunity of, of interactions or um, experience, which I know sounds very generic, but um, for me, that was going to, to PyCon. But I, I think for most cases, it's probably, it's probably better to try to look at something that's either local or state-based. So in, in for, um, especially for more populated areas, there can be something that's that's either in your city or in your region. So I, I think trying to, to limit it to, okay, what am I interested in from a topical standpoint in terms of, of web development, data science, or it, it can just be you know general language based. And then usually I think from there it's if it's if it's feasible from a, a monetary standpoint, going to the national conferences is typically the better bang for the the time and even the even though those can typically be more expensive i think you're for the bigger national ones you're having people fly in from um out of the country too so you have kind of the the biggest chance for making connections there that it it may be harder to actually in some ways at a a smaller conference so i'll I'll give an, an example at my first conference of any kind programming related was PyCon 2018. I did not know anybody other than the two coworkers that I was going there with. Mm-hmm. But I ended up meeting the um, Bob Belderboss and Julian Secura. Oh, cool. There because I, I just heard them on a, on a Talk Python to Me podcast and I, I recognized their faces because I'd started taking the, their first 100 days of Python course. Yeah. Hadn't, hadn't gone beyond like day three or four, but I just recognized them. Sure. <laughs> and from there, I probably met uh, maybe somewhere between five to 15 individuals, maybe five that I kept up in, in regular contact with afterwards, Bob and, and Julian being two of them. Well, in, in going to us, a, a, and then there, of the other 10 or however many that I just loosely made introductions to, I went to a subsequent conference um, that summer called Pi Ohio for in Columbus, Ohio. And not only was I able to see people that I had loosely met at PyCon and kind of leapfrog off of those relationships, um, but also, Bob and Julian let me know of someone they knew who I had not met at all at hmm. uh, the 
larger PyCon conference that was attending this. And, and I, I think the, the, the first conference can be quite scary because it's like walking into that first day of, of college or like walking into a speed dating um, where you don't know anybody. And I think that something to keep in mind is that people who, for, for those that are shy or timid or, or concerned, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm wanting to try to get into field X and there's a conference for that. And I don't know barely anything about that field. And, I, and therefore I probably don't know anybody who's going to there. I would just take a chance. The worst that can happen is you flush a couple of days down the toilet. But mm -hmm. most people that are attending these conferences or a, a high proportion also don't know a ton of people that are there. So they're either in the same or similar boat that you are, or the second thing is the people that tend to go to these conferences are usually pretty pleasant people. If you walk up to them and say, hi, I'm, I'm Bob, I'm Susie, I'm just starting to get into this field. Do you have any recommendations? Or, oh, hey, I, I recognize you from such and such. You know, what would be your advice to somebody starting out? I have not been in a situation where I was told to F off or get the heck out of Dodge. Now, there, there, there of course, can be <clears throat> some people that you try to initiate a conversation with. <clears throat> Sorry about that. That's um, all good, man, yeah. You can try to strike up a conversation with, and like anybody in real life, you know, maybe it just, it doesn't click or it's like, okay, well, it, you know, it's just not the, like a band trying to come together. We're just not on the same wavelength. I'm just not feeling it. Like there, there are still those chances, but there are, there are enough times where it's like, oh, hey, yeah, hey, where the, where the feedback is very positive and very mutual that, um, again, the, just having the basic of, I'm new to X, I'm interested in the field that you work in or the company that you work in, product you work in. Very rarely are people going to, especially people that attend conferences, going to reject or push back or not be opening to having a good conversation with somebody that says, oh, hey, I, you do X, I like X, hey, tell me more, tell me more. Like, yeah. you know, the podcasting, hey, how's that? How's that going, man? Tell me, tell me about what like you you are you are not going to people people love just as a, a natural human um, tendency. They love to talk about themselves, or they they love to talk about what they're dealing with. So, right, give them a chance. And all the the prerequisites for that interaction is I'm here. I'm usually <laughs> interested in right. Yeah. It's, oh man, you bring up, uh, it's kind of like this funny thing in life where, um, you know, like we're afraid of these things that there's no reason to be afraid of. And like, I'm, I'm guilty of this, like, you know, these fears that like, when you look at it, like logic, logically just laid out, you're like, that is ridiculous to be afraid. You know, like, like you said, the only risk is flush a couple of days down the toilet, or maybe you get a little bruised ego because the person is just like, on another level, you know, but really there's no reason not to do it. There's so much reward for little risk. Like that's, that's what I'm kind of hearing out of you, or at least that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. No, I, I think it, all this has got to be like in perspective, like sure. 
kind of talked about the technical part and like going to conferences and both are good. Like you can't do like, you can't do a thousand hours in both. It's about trying to do like, okay, a little bit of this um, and a, a little bit of that to balance it out. So for example, I, I have, as I mentioned, I have, you know, three kids, a family. There are some people I look on, on Twitter with an envy that seem like they're going to a new conference every week or at least every month. It's like FOMO, FOMO, FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, I, if I had the time to just maximize that one part of my life, I, I would, you know, throw myself wholeheartedly into it or right. be at the gym, you know, three hours a day and have time to do all this you know, career self-improvement stuff. Mm. You know, it's, it's okay. Trying to do a little bit of that. Like, for example, I set probably at most trying to go to one conference every three months. I think even trying to do one every six months is like a, a plenty enough goal. Um, even once a year is something, I mean, life comes up, maybe the stars don't align or it's not, it just doesn't, uh, not the right time for someone, but I, I think trying to do some, but again, it's, it's just that the, the networking aspect is just a portion of this. You ultimately have to try to also spend time in the lab, kind of honing your craft, honing where you want to go in the future. And that, you know, if you're, if you're on the conferences every weekend, that probably doesn't leave a lot of time for, for other stuff, but hmm. yeah. I think you know, I was, um, I was thinking of in terms of, okay, if you, if you try to strike up a conversation at these conferences and, and one does not feel like it's, um, you know, I, I don't know, mutually reciprocated or just not driving I, the, the thing that's a, a little bit more available at the bigger conferences is, oh, it doesn't work with this one person. There's thousands of more others that I can try it with. And, uh, initially, the the size of the conference can be in, intimidating, and it, in in some ways, that's actually uh, a buffer mechanism because whereas if if you had like a smaller one, a hundred or five, I think five hundred is a pretty decent size, but at the conference of 50, you might run out of, um, run out of people to try to strike up a conversation or a dialogue with. But if you're at a conference with thousands, well, those thousands of people are always talking. It's much like college They're in their little tribes or at their booth. And it's, it's in some ways easier to disconnect from something that doesn't feel like it's, it's, um, it's, it's humming for lack of a better descriptor and say, okay, well, let me, oh, there's this person over there. Let me try to, you know, let me try it with them. So the mm -hmm. numbers from a logical standpoint can, just, you're giving yourself more chances that you'll make um, good, healthy connections. Yeah. I, you, you've really kind of inspired me to go do it uh, more. I haven't, uh, I haven't been that, um, uh, what do you, I, I guess I'm struggling to find the word, but I, I haven't been very adventurous, I guess, when like seeking out networking opportunities. And uh, I think you've pretty much sold me on like, 
just do well, it. And, 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 and for podcasting, especially if you mm. – um, High Cascades, it's Ryan Brian Hawkins and Michael Kennedy's Backdoor. Um, I, I think they're – especially at the – even the more regional ones, but particularly um, either um, PyCon – or again, if it's if it's in the locale that's you know some of these content creators are, which a lot of them are, are West Coast. But um, for example, Ruben Lerner, I believe um, he frequently goes to the PyCons. Um, Dr. Chuck, I believe at least was at this past one. So I think both in terms of having um, being able to rub shoulders with people that are in a kind of a content creation or kind of in that. Um, what's the word, the, the kind of freelancer mindset are at these bigger conferences and, and it's other than kind of having the ability to talk shop or talk kind of items that are specific to kind of, hey, this, this, is, this is my little niche of this larger world, um, the, the chances of, of congregating and dialoguing with people who are in that niche naturally even if that niche is 2% of that population, 2% times 3,000 is how, how many? 60, 60 individuals versus maybe none, maybe two. So mm -hmm. I definitely encourage you to go to PyCon 2020 in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I want, I want to check it out for sure. I, I think, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll use the word, the language that you were using and, and pitch my uh, boss with the benefits of, checking this out. I mean, it just sounds like there's just really no risk. So yeah, you can, you can count on me on being there for 2020. And I, I think some, something that might also be an inhibitor for people previously in terms of attending, uh, attending conferences, particularly if it's a technical matter that they don't know much about, that's usually, usually even just some level of interest is enough. Sure, it knows to have familiarity or use of the language, but when I attended my first um, PyCon, I was freaking scared of pip install. I didn't know Git. Mm. Even somebody who is very new to something, in this case it was Python, but even if it's, okay, well, here's a Northwest Conference on BI reporting, business intelligence reporting. If you're just interested in that, again, you'd want to, like, I'm not going to go to a conference or get together on Jane Austen novels just because that's nowhere in my personal interest or career development sphere. As long as you have, again, an, an interest in some knowledge that doesn't need to be highly technical, um, the the main benefit of these conferences, even for people who are immersed in the field, is the networking relationship part of it. Because, especially for somebody new, if you sit in on a talk, you're gonna grab bits in here, but it's gonna be like, okay, well, if I'm learning a language and I know I'm two months into Spanish, and these people are speaking you know, four years, with four, four year level proficiency, I'm going to pick up this and that. It's going to be the same thing of, of attending a technical talk that you, in an area that you're not familiar with, you're going to pick up here and there, but it, 
that that's not the the benefit of these of these conferences, especially with the talks largely posted on YouTube at some later point in time. It's going to be that sort of human alchemy, that that networking, which is both both great from a kind of a utility angle, a, oh, hey, you know, if I have a question or I have a reason for kind of following up and utilizing this relationship down the road, you know, I, I met so-and-so at a, a conference, even if we just said hi briefly, I can follow up with them on Twitter or their email address that they gave me, or even just the kind of, kind of fun, idealistic summer camp-ish nature of of conferencing, of, of getting together in, in a kind of a, a, a space where we're all sort of fish out of water, not in terms of feeling un uncomfortable, but okay, we're just, we're all away from our, our homes and we're all together. Let's, um, let's make the, sounds cheesy, but I'm struggling to find other ways to cap this off. Let, let's make the most of this. Like, okay, well, yeah. whereas if this was in my, backyard, I would just, you know, at 6 p.m., I'd probably go home, rest up, or have that sort of, maybe that family pressure to do so, but hmm. everybody out, hey, hey, what are you, what are you doing tonight? Okay, you're, you wanted to get a drink at the pub, or, or hey, there, there's, when I kind of emphasize that, that drinking is not the only way of socializing at these, these conferences. There's people that get together to play card games. So I think, the, the, the beauty of especially these large conferences is either from a technical craft subject area or, you know, people that you, pers from a personality standpoint, just strike it up with better than others or people that, oh, hey, I'm, 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 I'm vegan or, hey, I, here's what I prefer to do. The latest Avengers movie is out. I'd, I'd like to see that versus, you know, going to, going to get drinks. With larger conferences, there's more people who are going to have those specialized interests that you are more likely to find a match. Now, again, many fish in the pond, you know, again, that person may be out there if we're kind of game theoring this out, but the, the, mm -hmm. the opportunities are, are, are there now. You know, making the connections, that's, that's where the, you know, the getting, getting that in Einstein's or whatever physics, you know, getting something to get in motion is the hard part. Hmm. Once you kind of, and I, I think it, it's like riding a bike. Once you feel like, once you realize, Oh, I don't need my tricycles anymore. You realize, oh, okay, I can just walk up and try to see if this will, you know, this will strike up. And, and, and once you get kind of this outside of this kind of critical mass of knowing enough people that especially those that are, are likely to go to the other regional ones, going to future conferences, especially if they're still within the wheelhouse of Python or, or the similar technical track, it, it makes them easier and easier and easier. Cause it's like, Oh, Hey, I'm unlike that first time that I went to PyCon or, you know, Pi, my, my state, like Pi, Tennessee or Pi, Ohio, Pi, Texas, like, Oh, Hey, Oh, Hey, I recognize you from, it, it becomes, um, builds momentum and subsequently, subsequently it's just easier to, to attend other conferences and get the most out of those. So it's, hmm. it's like peeling off the bandaid, the, 
hardest part is, you know, peeling it off and oh, the, those hairs come off once it. <laughs> yeah, that 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 sounds awesome. I mean, there's just so much. There, there's just so much awesome that that uh yeah, folks got to check this out if you haven't plugged yourself in, and uh, that's how, another way of meeting amazing humans. One one thing that I love about doing the podcast is it's like a perfect excuse to get on these people's schedules and just talk with amazing humans just like yourself. And so it's just like another way of doing it. And um, I don't know, there's like, if you're not making these connections, like you got to kind of ask yourself, what are you, what are you doing? What is your end game here? <laughs> and I, I think, I think the, the, the other thing from in, in my situation that it, it helped. And I think this, seeking out these relationships at conferences, it, it helps provide, like, especially for somebody who's trying to shift into either a new career or a new, new, dope, new niche within this overall tapestry of, of, of programming. It helps provide, like, those, those people serve as great. Personal mentor is probably maybe too much of a stress, but it's also not far off. They've, mm. they've come, I've, I've been able to, um, either by classes I took or just people I met, be able to seek advice or some sort of counsel or just the general like, hey, I've thought about this. Is this a good idea? Or I have no clue what to do next. What should I do next? Mm -hmm. People who are more experienced serve as, as terrific sounding boards for that. Like I, I, I've... Hmm. There has been numerous times where I've I've followed up with individuals that I've I've met and said, "Hey, I'm 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 just trying to get some kind of somebody who's who knows me a little bit, but is also kind of removed from either my work situation or my family situation, and that can kind of just provide a an unbiased but um, unbiased but an informed perspective to my question or my dilemma." Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's like that's some ninja tactics there. With um, you know, if if you you're you're willing to put yourself out there, and it's not too much for the other person to basically like, they could probably just look at the situation. It's like that classic thing with golf. Like the golf coach, like he can't probably swing it like Tiger, but he can definitely look behind and be like, "Hey, you're you need to do this thing, and your swing's going to get a lot better." So what, what you're bringing up makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, th I think if, if we look back and think of a parallel at earlier points in our life is maybe professors and teachers in college or high school. Well, we mm -hmm. just with those individuals on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it was kind of a natural um, extension to say, hey, what, you know, can you give me advice on thing X or thing Y? And the people in our job or company can be that in a way, um, but it can sometimes be easier to form connections outside of your company or outside of your, your specific circle. And the easiest way, um, although it, it, it does come with, you know, some level of travel cost, um, conference expenses, although, some of these, a lot of these conferences offer financial assistance. Um, the, the kind of the 
greasing of the wheels it can provide in terms of not not being a, in a standpoint where you're trying to cold message somebody or cold call somebody over the internet is um, again it can be even like hey hey Brian I just you know briefly said hi at blah 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 PyCon versus hey Brian you don't know me although <laughs> I'm I, just I, a random I, dude I, on I found, the internet <laughs> I have I I had a a um, a talk on this at Pi Cascades where I, um, I reference a time where I actually, I don't want to have Michael Kennedy's direct message box blow up, blow up, but I, I just messaged him out of blue to get some advice. And he was actually pretty instrumental in having me go to PyCon. So I, I think mm-hmm. you can still do that. And there's a respectful way to reach out to people um, without having met them in, in person or having kind of new, no presupposition, but it's, I would say, probably infinitesimally easier to do that if you have um, something to kind of to work off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you've mentioned Michael Kennedy a couple of times, like I am a huge fan of his work and the Talk Python podcast. Like he was instrumental in like, I didn't, I didn't reach out to him, uh, to, to get the, well, he was actually one of the first guests I had on the show. And, uh, but like just the work that he does was so inspiring and the, um, the training that he does is so high quality like that. I mean, what, what a, uh, amazing human. So uh, my question to you actually about him was though, like how, how did you kind of discover his work? Did you just stumble upon it and it was one of your first kind of exposures to uh like the python kind of uh, ecosystem uh like the 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 social ecosystem or did like how did you like stumble upon his stuff because i i'm kind of amazed at like how many people don't know about that high quality content and product that he he produces this is a well, this is a plug for for like this, a, is, this is the Michael Kennedy kiss <laughs> ass hour. Kiss ass. He's a, he deserves it though, man. Some seriously awesome work comes out of that shop. You are not going to get any arguments here. So <laughs> I, I think I was just just doing just a basic Apple Podcast search for Python. Okay. So and that in his and the Python Bytes podcast, yeah, um, came up. So I just started to listen. And even the, I think he has a, he has a good post somewhere in terms of the first ten or twelve episodes to listen to if you're just starting to get into this or get into you know the Python nest or the Python universe. But I just started to listen, and I just I, I think maybe more so than other podcasts, th- there's he does a great job of blending both the, the technical utilitarian nature of whoever he's interviewing with the personal story. And you can naturally tell that there's a sense of, you know, it sounds like touchy feely, but there's a sense of kind of joy and positivity yeah. in, in his voice. And I think naturally in the, in the other person too. And I, I think it was almost like, Hey, I, I don't know a, a, a lot of Python syntax, but I, you know, I, I want to. Those sound like kind of good, good people to to hang out with. And my, my golly, of all the Python, these those are like <laughs> must be a special place. Yeah, now that, you know, is is probably kind of extrapolating too much, but it, it's still a um, 
you know, indication of if somebody, generally if some, someone is very passionate about a, a, a vocation or a niche that they're in, then, you know, either they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they're hypnotized or they're, they're under the matrix or that thing is, is, is special. Yeah. And, and worth, worth giving a look. Now, it may not be special to you as well, but it's like, hey, maybe, uh, you know, this a, a, more of a glance. Let me give, you, give it a test run. I think with, with programming languages today, especially with, you know, the, the world not dominated by SaaS or some sort of proprietary expensive licenses, except for Tableau, thank you, Tableau, <laughs> That like it, it's it's more easier than ever with the combination of free software or um, free from a personal use standpoint and the the plethora of either free content or low low cost at least in terms of going to college and sitting for a CS one hundred and one course. There's there's tons of accessible. Um, ways to dip your toes into something like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this JavaScript shit is all a rage. There's a new framework every month, although you know, Python gets new frameworks every month or day or week two. <laughs> but th- there's, there's great ways to test out the waters with something to see if there's enough um, interest or kind of enough, enough there there to keep pursuing something. Because although we've been on this sort of networking human side of it, like if, if, if you're, if the networking is about the construction industry and you don't like getting your hands dirty, well then, you know, maybe find other ways to socialize with those people, but you don't have to do it through the vocation. Right. There's through Coursera, through EDX, hot Python in terms of uh, Michael Kennedy. I know, um, for JavaScript, there's a couple of good resources, free code camp, um, good site that's free and just donation based. And I think yeah, there's free a code camp's awesome. Michael Kennedy equivalent for JavaScript, just in terms of somebody who creates online content that's focused on that area. That's not a part of a, a larger franchise. So that, that's mm-hmm. in terms of the experimentation cost you're looking at okay well i didn't uh i didn't take a nap or i didn't watch um the newest episode of the mandalorian right away so yeah i i think that's just kind of a way to ground it up you should not go to conference conferences aren't the way, only way to get human interaction in the world so if you don't yeah like or you don't test or just find it eh, the technical matter those conferences are based on just don't do it for that sole reason there's plenty in the world plenty of, of subject matters in the world to, to find to try to gravitate towards mm-hmm. but not utilize conferences as like well it's it's great from a socializing and career development but if 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 what you're the backbone that you're building off of, you don't give two shits about, then, okay, don't just do conferences. Rather. Conferences are kind of an enhancer and an enabler, uh, um, kind of uh, performance-enhancing drug, a legal performance-enhancing drug to development in something that interests you. 
Mm, yeah, it's good to put that in perspective. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, we we're actually getting uh, a little over on our hour. I wanted to wrap up. I had some awesome uh, kind of, uh, I, I wanted to get some awesome insight from you. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think it's, it's, I'll give two. One is, I don't know if I ever heard this, but it's just something that's kind of, um, or sorry, heard it from a mentor um, specifically, but the notion of it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that can sound like very generic, like what, what does that mean? That means, okay, well, tr get sleep, don't kill yourself to like, okay, well, th this is the weekend and if I just do like tw 20 hours of, of, of putting my head on a book or Coursera, you know, okay, like don't like try to keep it in balance with other aspects of your life. So, hmm. um, and I, I think kind of, okay, well, this is about the next couple of years and I need to not taking that wider lens from a standpoint of like, couple of years, I don't have to worry about it, just, but more so from the angle of, okay, well, if I'm pursuing something in a, a healthy manner and in proportion with other aspects of my life, relationships, you know, your, your current job or your current field of studies, like it, it's, it's not about the, the binging, but the, uh, more so about the habit. So good habits versus um, hitting, trying to hit home runs, singles and doubles. Hmm. I think the other aspect of it is, I think the general notion of, you hear sometimes like, okay, well, thing X broke, but, you know, nobody's going to die. I, I think that the, the notion of, okay, if something in your job or in your life goes bad. Now again, uh, framing it in terms of work mess ups, like obviously unfortunate accidents happen. I'm just talking about, oh, a missed deadline or a, you know, a, a failed, failed test of set, inter, intermediate setbacks are not the end of the world. Setbacks or failures or F-ups at work, they suck. Nobody likes to strike out. Nobody likes to fail. It's not generally an enjoyable experience, even though, you know, in hindsight, you can look back and put it in perspective. In the moment, it's, it, it can be um, sometimes debilitating, but I think as I've, especially later in my career, and I've kind of witnessed the rodeo show of occasional missed deadlines on, on a project level and just realizing that, okay, well, in, in the moment or that week, there was all this sort of like human gloom three or four months later. Okay. Still have my job still chugging along. Okay. Yep. That thing happened. Not, not being in denial, but not, not having failures be an albatross, an albatross that weighs you down. Hmm. Yeah, the, that's uh, really, really powerful stuff. I mean, some people are better at this than others, but I mean, 
I, I just kind of reflect on my own experience. Sometimes I feel like I can be a little hard on myself. And so if you, for example, had those mess ups at work and you were saying like, nobody likes that, nobody plans for it, but it's like, you know, the sooner you kind of just get going forward, I mean, you're going to look back and it's going to be, it, it's not going to be as big of a deal. So and, and I, I can, I can do some, some of this too, even just from a, maybe a personal standpoint of like, okay, you know what's, and again, this is like kind of the, uh, having the, the more measured perspective, which it's hard to have measured perspectives at the moment, but you hmm. know what, it's not going to help me get better as being a mopey SOB and just pouting forever what will give me a better chance at moving on and going forward is not forgetting about it, but just, just putting it behind me. I think that's the, uh, the economics 101, like focus on the incremental, i.e. the going forward, it, you know, what, what can your incremental efforts do to in, increase your, 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 your future net present value? But again, just Dude, I, you're, you're creeping me out right now. I got like goosebumps because I, it was not, I, I don't mean to interject, but I, I, I got to you right now. Cause like, it wasn't six hours ago that I just recorded like a little memo to myself. Cause I've been doing these mentor minutes and I was basically talking about like, like exactly what, exactly what you're saying. Like your present value is your future potential. Basically that time value brought to now everything that's happened in the past is a sunk cost and you can't, um, you can't that was on the tip that. of my. Oh man. It's, it's but, crazy. I feel like I'm on like a very just, I mean, we're on the same wave wavelength, man. There's a reason that we connected. I, I've, but I, I've thoroughly I think, enjoyed this. I have too. I, I think something I want to speak to is it can sound kind of mechanical and distant to try to kind of put, human emotions or human inklings within some sort of like framework. Mm -hmm. I think I, I know at least with me, maybe not for everybody. Sometimes like sometimes I can be irrational, impulsive, again, more down on myself, overly critical, overly harsh, overly like, you know what? If, if I don't get to like this chapter by Sunday, it's just all oh, just blow it up. Yeah. But I, I think that's where trying to kind of repeat these mantras of sorts, if, if you kind of think of it in yoga, like, okay, repeating these is a way to calm and settle yourself and, and keep yourself from becoming unmoored, so to speak. Like, okay, well, let me put it in perspective. Okay, it, it, and it may be harder to accept these. And, you know, sometimes how I deal with life's issues is with, a couple of pints of alcohol, but of course that's just, that's just, again, that's more of a numbing mechanism or, or watch or going on a Netflix spins. That's mm. just, that's just having emotional sugar, not like really dealing with something. So I, it's, it's just a, a, a way of not having these rules dictate our life, but helping to kind of, corral the worser impulses or the worser human behaviors that we have. Yeah. I, uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing those two uh, massive insights. Like they, they certainly resonate with me. I hope the audience is, uh, it's well received with them as well. Uh, oh, I had a question for you. What is like a great 
non-technical book that you would recommend? I have a superb one. It's called, um, so I would, there's two on my mind, but the, the one I would, would highlight is, is range. Range. Is in like shooting range. It's a, <clears throat> sorry. It's a, it's the, the thesis of the book is why hyper specialization, especially early on in your pursuit of something is, is not a good thing. It's, it's, hmm. It's about being a, a support of being more of a generalist or somebody that just decides to specialize later. I, I think it's a, it's a good um, callback to kind of what we started out earlier of it's, it's, it's better to be good slash very good at a couple of different things versus hyper-focused on, on one thing, uh, on, on one skill set. And the, the opening chapter that um, presents these contrasting arguments is comparing Tiger Woods with Roger Federer. And Tiger Woods could pick up a golf club when he was two or some un, ungodly early age. <laughs> the only thing that he focused on, and Tiger Woods achieved a lot of professional success. Roger Federer, he played, kept on playing high school soccer, soccer, tennis. Well, obviously tennis was his main, his professional sport, but he, um, he was a more well-rounded, more um, not grounded is maybe a loaded term, but just he he did not do tennis and only tennis from an, from an early age. And it was contrasting, hey, we like to celebrate that Tiger model, that sort of 10,000 hours to expertise as, as the, the epitome, the ideal that we should shoot for. But what what science or what studies show is actually the, the generalist or at least the delayed specialization in something or in a, in a particular niche within the overall tapestry mm. is or more times than not the, the more effective way to um, you know, kind of pursue something because it, 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 one of the themes hit on is by, by looking at other areas, you can, have a different perspective on your vocation of focus that you wouldn't have otherwise by just, okay, this is my domain. This is how we solve my domain's problem versus this is a focus area, but I've also supplemented it with these other items. And, oh, here's, here's something either, you know, hand-eye coordination or, um, or balance that I've picked up in, um, this this other sport or field of study. So I, I think it's hmm. it's it's uh, non technical, but I think speaks to a lot of the the themes that we've we've hit on in terms of of again not being hyper focused on either kind of one time period or in th- this case is talking about kind of trying to be a, a more effective at thing X. That it's it's better to be more of a generalist than somebody who is hyper-focused on one area. Hmm. I, I, uh, maybe it's just like the reading that I've exposed myself to, but I've not heard a lot of arguments for the delayed specialist. That's a cool, that sounds like a really cool concept. Like it's got a, sounds like it's got a good argument. Everything like the Malcolm Gladwell, like 10,000 hours, the sooner you put it in, the more effective you'll be like, 
that's kind of like the brainwashing. I, I, think, I think he cites actually, I, I, I went through the first three or four chapters of the book and I need to pick it back up again. I think he actually cites the studies that were utilized as, as the basis for that 10,000 hours and kind of huh. either debunks that same studies or just kind of just shows how that, that is, um, that is generally not a good thing. Again, from hmm. a, from a, um, from a looking at various studies and seeing kind of the, the collective kind of support for, for one thesis versus the other. Yeah. I mean, if there was like a meta meta theme that we've kind of exposed today on, on this uh, interview, it's something along the lines of like, you know, make, make sure that your field of vision, like expand that as much as possible. And just like with that book, like how, how crazy could it be? if you didn't expose yourself to some knowledge like that and you just went on about your life thinking like specialization was the only way, I don't know, just like it could change the trajectory of your life. Is Yeah. I, I, I think the field of vision is a good way of framing it. I, I think it's the same thing that you would get, you know, taking out of some kind of professional technical vocation realm, like undoubtedly when you go and visit a different country, your, your perspective, your, your appreciation, your, um, I don't know, kind of connection to the world. Like I, I think it's something in you in changes that you wouldn't have gotten if you just stayed in the same city. Um, not, not, not that saying that ultimately sure. going to your yeah. hometown is not like, that's, that's not a saying for, well, where you are stinks and you'll be a loser if you just stay where you are. And wait. But it's more so saying, generally speaking, trying to sprinkle in and expose yourself to different things is good. Now it's again, all in balance. Like, I mean, I would love to spend like a, a month just backpacking around Europe. Right. It's not exactly kind of feasible, but just, okay. What is, what is something within my realm of interest that will, will stretch it just a little bit further? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, I, I hope I hope people are listening that loud and clear that just it makes a lot of sense, like seek out those opportunities. If you're if you don't have that type of personality, maybe consider this way of life like you don't have to go break the bank and, and go to Europe, although that could be a pretty cool experience. But just seek out these other things that will make you a little more eclectic, give you some more perspective, like you're not going to be a worse off person like I challenge you to find yourself worse off, you know, I mean, as long as you're doing things that are in the realm of lawful, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think worse, I, I've got a, I've got a good statistical joke. Worst case scenario, the null hypothesis is confirmed and you just okay. know how things are right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, yes, the time or the money you spent, you know, goes away. So, Again, if you're a little bit more skittish, maybe again in the in the conflict example, maybe do <clears throat> maybe do the one that's local to your city or state that's free or little cost, and and same thing from the from the travel and less of a burden there. Or courses, you know, don't don't have to, you know, pay the you know premium fifty dollars a month that some of these sites have. It, there's you know, a lot of freely available content, but mm-hmm. again, 
worst case scenario, you you have some catching up to do on your Netflix show or on, on Call of Duty, or whatever the kids are playing these days um, that I haven't had as, as much time to accommodate. Because um, when you have three kids, a wife, the the time when you could do two hours of just, I don't say fluff, but just total relaxation, total binge. And, oh, hey, here's this like little niche side thing that I want to do that might improve my future career. Like, right. Okay, um, short of taking, you know, Red Bulls all night, which is not sustainable, you know, right. either, either all those have to be shrunken down in proportion or, you know, in, in the words of probably, a, I think it's a Jack Nicholson Diane King movie, something's got to give. Hmm. So. Yeah, and, and with that being said, you know, uh, I'm super thankful that you were able to carve out this time because I'm, I'm sure this is like, you know, saying yes to something is saying no to a hundred other things. So I, I want to make sure you're feeling my gratitude with uh, coming on the show and carving out this time. I had, I had uh, actually, well, two questions for you. Fire away. Uh, um, what is some programming languages that we should look towards into 2020? Well, I don't think Python is going anywhere. Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think, I think R is still relevant, even, or it's very relevant, um, you know, particularly in, in data analysis, data science, which I mean, that's what it's, it's designed for. Um, I, I think it's, and, and then the other ones that are like kind of skirting on the edges, like a Scala or edges, I'm, I'm sure they're actually, you know, pretty well established, but mm -hmm. uh, like Julia or Go, I mean, I, I, I think usually what's kind of more interesting is kind of how, how languages that are in place, you know, continue to either evolve in their own right, or in the case when you have someone like Microsoft that's kind of responsible for Kind of curating an ecosystem of related technologies, how how those have, have, have you know, continue to grow and evolve, or mm -hmm. um, integrate with each other. Like I I think the the what is becoming easier and easier um, already, and it's only going to continue in the future is um, kind of data visual the making data visualization easier, or you, the more kind of enterprise name for that is dashboarding, BI, business intelligence reporting. Mm. And those are our capabilities that are, are there a little bit in Python, I think R shiny, um, the shiny platform within R has a, a little bit more of a head in, in that realm, but there's still good visualization libraries in Python. Um, Microsoft's Power BI, Power Business Intelligence um, um, software, is actually has kind of set templates within it, but also the ability to extend it with Python or R script, or if you know some JavaScript, the D3 library, that's the main um, data visualization library within JavaScript as a, as a way of like building custom, custom visualizations within an already robust tool. Um, I, I think that's 
not so much a language, but um, languages that are either targeted or that have the capabilities for um, visualization are only going to continue to get better. And I think that's, that's where mm. you see um, a, a lot of the effort at, at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll just let the audience simmer with what you ju just said, but I concur. <laughs> I mean, that's how I get paid, basically. Uh, but, and I write a lot of VBA still, too, actually. If you. Yeah, Excel's not going away. And, 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 and towards that end, for, for anybody, and I, I'm surprised I let this kind of cool cat just you know, kind of. Um, it was, it was there in terms of being utilized by other team members. But if you feel like, well, either you don't want to touch Excel VBA, which I get it. It's a messy SOB, <laughs> but it's also easy to give somebody an Excel with VBA code versus you know, Python distribution mm -hmm. issues. But um, if you're looking for something cool to do within Excel, that's not VBA check out um, Power, Query, Power Query or Power Pivot. Okay. So, um, having enhanced kind of um, presentations, enhanced um, analytical reporting within Excel. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So overall with the interview today, what, is, uh, what do you want people to get out of this interview? Uh, don't be lazy all the time. Um, I, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of, a lot of this talk that makes it seem like I do this all the time that I'm always, um, because I espouse these principles that I'm always humming that I'm always kind of finding a way to, you know, um, to, to, to learn every day and go to conferences every month. That, that's not the case. I'm human, but it's about trying to do enough ex expansion into an, an area, either an area of new interest or trying to enhance your current vocation of, of taking these small bets and small chances that may pay off. They, they could blow up in your face, they likely won't blow up your face. You'd likely just say, well, um, you know, I, I, God, that, didn't, that didn't go that well. I thought it would be awesome. I, I'll, I'll finish with an, an anecdote of um, when I went to my second Python conference, Pi Ohio, it was uh, up until the last evening, it was, it was okay. It was a solid experience, but not something I would say was like energizing, just that sort of um, cathartic surge of feeling awesome and hopeful about the world. Um, but it was having a, having a, um, a dinner with um, some people that I, I, you know, loosely knew there, and also something I was planning to have drinks later. And that that set of two or three hours of of getting to know those individuals and getting also when I had more of the one on one with the person I was planning on having drinks that evening, um, having kind of that kind of personal or life goal discussion was was made it worth the entire conference hmm. of, of that experience. And that, that indiv individual um, is, is still a, a dear connection to this day. So take, again, I would say take chances, 
and know that you know usually the the downside or the risk or cost are usually proportionately pretty low but the um the upside especially if you you are strategic about it which i know is a loaded word but that's just meant to be you put some thought you don't just say well you know i have no interest in ever moving to um uh iowa but you know i'm going to go to the or 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 agriculture for that mind but i'm going to go to the iowa farmers bureau and you know monthly meeting that's probably not a good um use of your time and you'd probably be you know, pretty bored there but if it's if it's something that aligns closely enough to what you're doing right now or what you're interested in um your chance for success is a lot higher than than you would imagine so um you know feel free to 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 take chances yeah well thank you so much for sharing that um i really enjoyed you having or having you on the show here jason and uh, i look forward to kind of seeing uh what uh where where the future takes you with uh the whole like data science and uh sequel with your accounting background so yeah thanks for for coming on the show Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on and thanks for letting me, uh, you know, ramble for uh, large portions of 90 minutes. I, I had a great time and I hope people got something out of it. And um, if, if anybody is, um, you know, if, if there's a thing or multiple things that I said on the show that people are, are curious about, I'm, I'm on Twitter at jmwatt3. I mean, feel free to DM or send me a Twitter message. Um, there, there's something I, I spoke to that, um, you know, you, you want to talk about further. I'm, I'm, my DMs are open. And I, as you can tell by this podcast, I'm, I'm genuinely pretty good about going into life or career advice mode. Excellent. Is there any other uh, call to action, like where or Twitter is basically the, the place to get a hold of you? Yes, Twitter probably yes, and then I can share my email um, if if to those individuals. But yeah, I, I think the general call to action is, you know, don't be afraid of trying to take kind of you know measurable chances at either expanding your world horizon, either in the sense of um, you know from a technical aspect, from a networking aspect. Um, or, uh, you know, obviously expanding your life view, but being this a, a technical focus show, like, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's very, I think commonly known, but sometimes hard for it to click for a lot of individuals that usually either the combination of the network or just having the, the network or the technical skill. One of those two is usually not good enough. Um, Hmm. You could be the best programmer in the world, but if you don't, if you you don't, and and again, if you're kind of on that black swan, the, the, you know, top 1%, like, yeah, you, you may be able to get through without having a decent network, but usually you need both um, personal relationships um, again, either in trying to find a new job or just trying to navigate into a new, um, a, a new technical field, 
having one or the other is good of, of technical know-how and um, personal network, having both is great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, we'll, I guess we'll just uh, round it up with those, uh, with those words. So thank you very much, Jason. Yep, you bet, Ben. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.